0: broadcasting from Birmingham, Alabama. This is Camp Church Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Durell. is episode 66, Fear the Lord and Vengeism.
1: Behold a sore went forth to so bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow.
0: Welcome, no everybody, to the, the Campus Podcast, Church a podcast is designed right, to encourage well, and equip you in the work of evangelism. I'm your host, Keith Daryl, and we're going to be discussing the idea of fear of the Lord and its place in evangelism, at least a little bit, because uh, I'm not sure if you're watching the news and some of the stuff going on in Portland and stuff like that, but uh, apparently, and it could have been uh, maybe in the context of anti-KKK type of racism view more than straight up Christianity, but there was a burning of a cross that people were carrying, and then also the setting of Bibles and fire in um, Portland, and within that, as I posted it and someone commented that uh, that very clearly that there is no fear of God before their eyes, and that's one of Paul's uh, lament about the condition of man in Romans chapter 3, there is no fear of God before their eyes, and one of the things that we often seek to avoid in the modern church is fear of the Lord. We think that, uh, you know, if you preach fear of God, that somehow, uh, we're going to lose people. Somehow it's not going to be effective um, type of thing. But Proverbs chapter 1 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so one of the central elements from Genesis to Revelation, I believe, is in fact fearing God. And part of the difficulty deals with teasing out an exact definition of what that is. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to... Uh, do a little house chores. One of those things is October 1st through the 3rd, we are having the first annual Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And we have a, a great lineup going on there. And if you sign up, I guess we're already in August. So if you become a member of the Fight, Laugh, Feast network by September the 1st, you'll get half off of registration, and that is going to be in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and I think it's worth it alone for the... Uh, Hymn sing, psalm sing, and uh, beer on Thursday night, and that's just getting things kicked off and warmed up. And last year at the Grace Agenda, which is actually, I believe, taking place in two weeks in uh, Moscow, uh, that, that was one of my uh, favorite parts of that event. So if you can get there October 1st through the 3rd in Nashville, Tennessee, please do. And the other thing, while you're listening to a podcast, run on over to your whatever your app store and download the Fight, Laugh, Feast app to kind of help get all of your daily Fight, Laugh, Feast content from uh, the flagship to the Campus Preacher podcast and all that sort of jazz. So one of the things that often comes up while I'm open air preaching is fear of the Lord. And Uh, I'm willing to discuss things like the holiness of God, the judgment of God, um, as well as obviously the love of God. I'm always seeking to put his judgments and his wrath in the context of his love. So 1 John tells us that God is love, and so that needs to be a central component of what we're preaching and teaching. Um, And his love compels him to pour out his wrath on the wicked, and that's the place where it gets pretty difficult. But one of the things that's plain. If you look kind of at the American church and you look at the the culture more broadly, once upon a time, people might be described as a God-fearing man, but very rarely uh, do we describe people uh, that way anymore. Kind of the fear of the Lord is out. Um, But before I get into uh, a little more of those details, I've actually been um, reading a great uh, piece by Thomas Goodwin. Uh, the heart of Christ towards sinners on earth. And so I do think anytime the fear of the Lord is discussed, uh, depending on your context, actually, um, but I'm assuming that this is predominantly saints, that uh, for some of you, your conscience can be afflicted and you can wrestle with things like assurance and stuff like that. Um, And Thomas Goodwin wrote this so that uh, people could be comforted, uh, not totally in their sin, but in kind of having an afflicted conscience um, and everything else. And this is actually from the introduction Um, by Michael Reeves, who wrote a great book on the Trinity. And so here's uh, just kind of a a brief covering uh, from that. It says, Then in uh, 1620, having just been appointed a fellow of Caffin Hall, he heard a funeral sermon that actually moved him, make him deeply concerned for his spiritual state. It started seven grim years of moody introspection, as he grubbed around inside himself for signs of grace. Only when he was told to look outwards, not to trust to anything in himself, but to rest in Christ alone, only then was he free. He says, I am come to this past now, he said, that signs will do me no good alone. I have trusted too much to habitual grace for assurance of justification. I tell you, Christ is worth all. So it is Christ and Christ alone that justifies us, and too often I do think we turn introspective, especially when issues like the fear of the Lord come up. If you have a tender conscience, you can begin to look inward and see, uh, you know, as the old poem says, when I turn my eyes within, all is dark and vain wild, filled with unbelief and sin, can I deem myself a child? So if those, that's you along those lines, uh, the, the goal is to preach the gospel, the good news, of the death, the resurrection of Jesus. But too often we want to uh, maybe cut people short of having that kind of existential dread before the Lord and having fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, uh, I can't remember the exact proverb, but it says the fear of the Lord is to hate sin. And that's what preaching is the holiness of God and the judgment of God is designed to do that men and women would hate sin, not just because uh, they're guilty and they're gonna go to hell, but that they have offended uh, the Most High. And that reading that by Goodwin made me think of a story which I actually can't verify. It was uh, originally told, I heard it um, at a conference in Toledo, Ohio, and Michael Horton was preaching. Some of you may love Michael Horton, others of you may not be excited about Michael Horton, but this was actually a really good, uh, well, at least part of this sermon, this is the part I remember, is uh, the, the story is that, Philip Melanchthon, who's one of the disciples of Martin Luther, was kind of wrestling through his conscience and wrestling with assurance and Luther uh, was alleged to have told him, uh, Melanchthon, when are you going to learn that the gospel is outside of you? And that was one of the things, along with Augustus Toplady's Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, when he says, uh, Should my zeal no respite know, should my tears forever flow, all for sin cannot atone, thou must save, and thou alone. Those were kind of two things that I heard around that period of my life that kind of really set me free from. Uh, reading a lot of Charles Finney and John Wesley and becoming introspective and wanting to be perfect in every way, which uh, can become a maddening thing. It's also a good thing. It uh, compelled me to kind of seek the Lord, Um, but it was, uh, I think in many ways, I was seeking a justification uh, by my sanctification rather than looking to Christ alone. So what I want to do is uh, I'm going to do two things in this podcast. I'm going to look at briefly uh, the book of Acts as well as in Joshua, because one of the things that takes place there in the book of Joshua is when they're going into uh, the promised land, they kind of enter, um, they come through the sea, there's kind of another exodus that takes place, and Rahab the prostitute uh, tells the Israelites how the fear of the Lord has on all the people there. And so in Joshua chapter 5 it says this, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites, who are beyond the Jordan in the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who are by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters, of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel, and so there's kind of a fear of the Lord coming over. Here's the the mighty works of God, and fear kind of comes over those people, and uh, and it says there's no longer any spirit in them uh, because of the people of Israel, and that kind of ties in a little bit with uh, the day of Pentecost and the baptism that takes place on the day of Pentecost, and in Acts chapter 2, it tells us, well... I'm actually in Acts chapter 5. But in Acts chapter 2 it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Now, w- one thing's worthwhile doing. I'm not going to uh, do that at least this week. Is, is just look up fear in Luke and Acts, and particularly Acts, and how often fear of the Lord is happening. And so if you jump over to Acts chapter 5 as well, it says... Uh, This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira, where they lie about uh, the the, the amount of land they sold, and the money that they're giving. And uh, so Ananias dies, and then Sapphira shows up. She lies, and then she dies, and it says, Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these. Um, Now, just kind of briefly, when you think of fear in this context... um, Someone dying—it's it, it, not a mere reverence, and I think that's going to one of the wrestles uh, that we have is how do we understand the fear of the Lord? We often want to move it away from, rightfully so, some some concept of like the boogeyman or Jason chasing you—that type of fear. Um, but it's not a mere reverence; it is the fear of holiness. And I think one of the things that ties in in reading Joshua, reading Acts, uh, and even including. Uh, Isaiah chapter six is what we need is a concept of who God is, and once you realize He's just, once you realize that He's holy, once you realize that He's pure, then you begin to have a a, a proper dread of God and a proper fear of God that is neither falls into the air of say uh, a clan running after um, an African American or something like that, uh, but rather you have the fear of the Holy One of Israel, and um, and even I believe it's Isaiah fifty three. It talks about how His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is not a a horrible thing. It's not a bad thing, uh, but it's part of the reality of realizing that you're dealing with the holy and something a totally other. And so, so I just wanted to strike at those two things. And, and it, as I was preparing this, it made me think of an old sermon that is actually one of my uh, favorite sermons, and I haven't listened to it in a while. But I, I pulled out a couple of clips. It's uh, by a guy named Paris Reedhead called Ten Shekels and a Shirt." And the clips that we're going to listen to here, the first one deals with him going over to Africa thinking everybody's going to be excited about hearing the gospel. but When we got there, he realizes they're not excited about hearing the gospel, um, but rather I'll uh, we'll let him tell the story because he tells it better, and it's uh, really quite good.
1: But it was there in Africa that God began to tear through the overlay of this humanism. And it was that day in my bedroom with the door locked that I wrestled with God, for hair was was I I was coming to grips with the fact that the people that I thought were ignorant and wanted to know how to go to heaven and were saying, someone come and teach us, actually didn't want to take time to talk with me or anybody else. They had no interest in the Bible and no interest in Christ, and they loved their sin and wanted to continue in it. And I was to the place at that time where I felt the whole thing was a sham and a mockery and I'd been sold a bill of goods. And I wanted to come home. And there alone in my bedroom as I faced God honestly with what my heart felt, it seemed to me I heard him say, yes, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The heathen are lost. And they're going to go to hell, not because they haven't heard the gospel. They're going to go to hell because they are sinners who love their sin. And because they deserve hell. But I didn't send you out there for them. I didn't send you out there for their sake. And I heard as clearly as I've ever heard, though it wasn't with physical voice, but it was the echo of truth of the ages finding its way into an open heart. I heard God say to my heart that day something like this. I didn't send you to Africa for the sake of the heathen. I sent you to Africa for my sake. They deserved hell, but I love them. And I endured the agonies of hell for them. I didn't send you out there for them. I sent you out there for me. Do I not deserve the reward of my suffering? Don't I deserve those for whom I died? And it reversed it all and changed it all and righted it all. And I wasn't any longer working for Micah and ten shekels in a shire, but I was serving the living God.
0: Now, part of the reason of sharing that clip is kind of in that story, and obviously, you know, he says it's the voice of God echoing uh, of truth echoing down through the ages. Um, but one of the key components that I think, and when we begin to discuss the fear of the Lord, we, we don't need some crazy ranting and raving sermon about hell and fires and... Madness. Uh, I've probably told the story on this podcast before, but years ago, I was up in uh, Salem, Massachusetts, and there was a, a man preaching, and uh, he, he thought he was. Uh, I, I wish I could remember what his words were, but he really thought he was trying to bring about the fear of the Lord with Halloween and all this sort of stuff. And he started off his sermon with a a, a Bible on the ground and walking around it, saying, "It's alive! It's alive!" Like kind of like Frankenstein or something. Like that. But he he as he begins to preach, was just kind of, I just thought, man, he, he makes God out to be totally capricious uh, and arbitrary. And so uh, if you were to fear uh, the God he was preaching about, you, you I don't think you'd be able to do it in the context of uh, where he loves you, and it's rooted in the holiness and all that sort of stuff. It just kind of seemed to be kind of just an angry God at a backdrop uh, with no kind of like covenantal context is maybe the best way I can put it. Um, and and so the reason I play that reedhead part, uh, the Paris Reedhead sermon, uh, or that part of it, is uh, I think he helps focus you in on uh, the reality of of, just kind of who God is, and and for some reason, listen that. Uh, passage there that little segment of, uh, of the sermon uh, stirs in me a fear of God um, that is also just kind of comforted by grace in the same way uh, makes me think of uh, Johnny Cash saying he spoke to me in a voice so sweet he swear he sh- heard the shuffle of the angel's feet so it's a little bit of a both end going on there and then uh, two other things he brings about in that sermon I'm going to play back to back is a, a clip about Whitfield's preaching on uh, Boston Commons then also how Wesley was preaching now I will say this there are a couple of historical errors in Paris Reedhead's sermon. He, I'm not, sh- I, I'm not sure if it's v- reliably verified that uh, there were like what I think he says 1,500 people lying on the ground. Not sure if that's verified or not. Um, but I still think the the segment on what Wesley was preaching is important because it ties into the idea that the fear of the Lord is not making God capricious, but it's laying out His attributes and who He is and what He's done in the Scriptures. And then later in that uh, Ten Shuckles on a Shirt sermon, uh, Reedhead tells a story about uh, some Moravian missionaries be- selling themselves into slavery, and he calls it a lifetime. It was not a lifetime. Uh, so, anyway, a couple factual errors, but point still stands. It was George Whitfield, it,
1: he stood on Boston Common speaking to 20,000 people, and he said, Listen, Senate, you're monsters. Monsters of iniquity deserve hell. And the worst of your crimes is that criminals, though you've been, you haven't had the good grace to see it. He said, if you will not weep for your sins and your crimes against the holy God, George Whitfield will weep for you. So that man would put his head back, and he would sob like a baby. Why? Because they were in danger of hell? No. But because they were monsters of iniquity that didn't even see their inner care about their crimes. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? The difference is here's somebody trembling because he's going to be hurt in hell. And he has no sense of the enormity of his guilt, and no sense of the enormity of his crime, and no sense of his insult against deity. He's only trembling because his skin is about to be singed. He's afraid. And this is the difference between 20th century preaching and the preaching of John Wesley. Wesley was a preacher of righteousness that exalted the holiness of God. And when he would stand there with the two to three hour sermons that he was accustomed to deliver in the open air, and he would exalt the holiness of God, and the law of God, and the righteousness of God, and the justice of God, and the wisdom of his requirements, and the, the justice of his wrath and his anger, and then he would turn to sinners and tell them of the enormity of their crimes, and their open rebellion, and the treason, and their anarchy, The power of God would so descend upon the company that on one occasion it is reliably reported that when the people dispersed, there were 1,800 people lying on the ground, utterly unconscious, because they'd had a revelation of the holiness of God, and in the light of that, they'd seen the enormity of their sin.
0: And so when I think of evangelism, I think of preaching the gospel and bringing about the fear of the Lord, uh, I, I want that idea to be emphasized the holiness of God the just of God the righteousness of his requirements and not uh, the idea that God is in any way shape or form capricious and arbitrary in his judgments we're not uh, you know the servants of Moloch or Allah or one of these other would-be beings that kind of fly off the handle of her even right now the uh, cancel culture masses that's not what God's uh, holiness is like and his hatred of sin is like, And so we need to uh, meditate upon those things. We need to know scriptures and we need to know the stories of scriptures of how God's uh, requirements and justice is being played out in history, especially in those, say, difficult passages. Sometimes in the Old Testament does look like maybe God flies off the handle when he strikes some people down kind of in an instant. Other people he seems to have some long suffering for. So how do these things come together? That's what we want to uh, be able to preach and teach. And so that's this episode of the Campus Church Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, filter, feed, to read reach out to me keith at campus preacher uh, campus evangel on uh, keith at campus preacher.com keith uh daryl on facebook and campus Behold evangel us on
1: twitter hope that he might see it grow no wind